today on Ag News Daily. The CO2, it, it does sort of matter because what you like is a fairly pure CO2. Listeners, July 18th, 2023, Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney back with Tanner to bring you some of the latest headlines. Ready to rock and roll? I'm ready, Tanner. Are you? I'm ready. Let's dive in. Okay. Well, we'll hit weather first. We still got hot weather and poor air quality coming across the United States. National Weather Service has their hands full. Heat advisories for most of the southern states and inching up into the Midwest, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, in southern Kansas and southwestern Missouri, heat indexes could get to 108. Values in Oklahoma and Arkansas are looking at 114 or 115. Obviously, this causes a lot of issues as we look at the relentless heat. There are scorching temperatures that continue to shatter records. This relentless heat wave is not going to go away. Yesterday marked the 18th consecutive day that temperatures were at or above 110 degrees Fahrenheit in Arizona. They're tying the record that was set in 1974. The high of 116 degrees was reported in Phoenix, and that tied the record for the same day set in 2005. So interesting to see here where all this heat comes through. Phoenix has shattered another record going eight straight days without overnight temperatures below 90 degrees. Monday night's 95 was just shy of the record warmest low of 96 degrees set in 2003. So kind of wild to see what's going on. But we also have heat indexes in Miami reaching 109, making it the 16th consecutive day in Miami over 105. Temperatures in El Paso were above 100 degrees for the past 32 days. And Grand Junction, Colorado saw 107 degrees, breaking its previously daily record set in 1971. So we're shattering records all over the place with the heat, Delaney, but it's not in Iowa. You're not really records you want to shatter, Tanner. No, not for a long period of time. No, certainly not. Uh, but even with the record heat we've been having, we're still seeing a little bit of reprieve in the weekly crop conditions report. As of yesterday, we saw crop conditions increase a few percentage points on the good to excellent ratings. As we look nationally, corn was rated 57% good to excellent, up two percentage points from last week, but down compared to this time ago last year. Tanner, Illinois and Iowa are doing the best as far as corn belt conditions go. Illinois crop rated 41% good to excellent and Iowa 64% good to excellent, while Missouri and Michigan are in some of the worst shapes for corn country, 30 and 40% respectively good to excellent. Soybeans also saw a little bit of an increase in crop conditions reports as we saw soybeans rated 55% good to excellent as of Sunday up four percentage points from the week prior, but down compared to 61% where we were at this time last year. Illinois rates 40% good to excellent soybean wise and Iowa rates 58% good to excellent. And Missouri and Michigan are once again rated worst when it comes to soybean crop 31 and 34% respectively. 
In the wheat thing side of things, the harvest progress for winter wheat is 56% completed as of Sunday, up 10 percentage points, still a little behind the five-year average. And crop conditions for spring wheat reflected a 51% good to excellent, up four percentage points from last week, but still well behind the five-year average, uh, which was 71% respectively, Tanner. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was looking at that same conditions report, and it is interesting just to see how we are comparing to the past, that is for sure. We also had reported on here just a couple of weeks ago about Walmart announcing their plans to open their packing plant in Olathe, Kansas. This will turn large cuts of beef into meat case ready steaks, fillets, and more for their Midwest stores. So it's $257 million investment in its efforts to build its own Angus beef supply chain. But last month when Walmart announced their plans to open this plant, there were large petitions being filed. The 2019 uh, story of a beef plant in Georgia launched as in-house Angus brand came across other sustainable beef conditions and concerns over having a beef market that is too vertically integrated. Walmart's new Kansas plant will buy its beef from soon to be opened Nebraska, <clears throat> Nebraska sustainable beef and will create an outlet for the processing there and will only be packaging. However, if Walmart has an ownership stake in sustainable beef, they have stated that there is an undisclosed sum in which this minority ownership stake is placed and promised to buy most of its beef produced at that packing plant, now has regulators concerned over what type of monopoly this may produce. Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF, Cow Producers and Advocacy Group is leading the charge as to the investigation. They're looking to see what this would do for pricing squabbles and dominating processing products, uh, continuing to look through where this may gain traction. So it's interesting here, Delaney, the largest meat companies make handsome margins off of grocers and distributors, but it's now all Walmart's control. Walmart sees the opportunity to move up the supply chain and take over historically high margins of beef processors. So we'll continue to see if there becomes any regulatory issues for Walmart in their plans to move forward with this packing plan and packaging plant. That's kind of difficult to say. Packing plant and packaging plant partnership as they look for vertically integrating more of the beef system. Well, it sounds like JBS is also looking to revamp things here as they announced late last week that they are planning to list their shares on the New York Stock Exchange as well as the Sao Paulo Stock Exchange, hoping they said to bring multiple peers closer to the company and create a broader investor base, hopefully giving them access to more and cheaper capital. This sent their shares up 8% mid-morning last week once the announcement was made. But JBS is a security in a securities filing offered a one-time dividend payment of about 2.2 billion reals or $454 million to try to coax investors into backing this long-standing plan. Shareholders ultimately Tanner, have the decision to make here about whether or not they're going to accept this proposal at a general meeting that's been yet to be scheduled. 
But according to their CEO, they said it will take probably about 30 days to get the meeting in place to meet with shareholders. And they're hoping that they can make this initial offering on the New York and Sao Paulo Stock Exchange by the end of December. So a lot of steps in the transaction ahead of that time. But it sounds like they're really looking for a way to raise some quick capital, Tanner. Yeah, it is certainly interesting. I've got just a couple of foreign headlines before we wrap up the news from my side of things this morning coming out of South Korea. A U.S. national is believed to be in North Korean custody after crossing the border during a tour. The United United Nations Agency is reporting on this. A man is the U.S. Army soldier. A U.S. official is now confirmed with CNN that he's been detained during a joint security mission. So we will look to see if there are any updates coming from there. The area tour crossed military demarcation line separating North and South Korea. The United Nations Command said that they are going to continue to monitor this process. U.S. national in in joint orientation for a tour crossed without the authorization, unfortunately. So we will see what types of other details come out of this incident and what things are looking like. When we go to Russia and Ukraine, Russian forces are continuing to launch airstrikes in the southern port city of Odessa after their retaliation now for Kiev's attack Monday on the Crimean Bridge. Wagner troops have arrived at the previously abandoned military base in Belarus. They have at least two more convoys on the way. These are being tracked via satellite imagery. U.S. and NATO are struggling to provide Ukraine with the large amount of ammunition that it needs for the prolonged counteroffensive. But the U.S. aid agency is stating that Russia is playing roulette with the world's hungriest people now that they've pulled out of the the crucial deal that allowed Ukraine to export grain. And we'll continue to see what happens now. Russia's termination of the grain deal obviously is going to impact Africa, and Kenya is looking to respond in a way to retaliate. So we'll continue to keep updates there. But that's what I've got for news today. So, you know, I have just one final headline for our listeners before we head into markets, and that is EPA waivers. As of late Friday afternoon, the Biden administration has denied almost all the outstanding petitions from oil refiners asking to be exempted from the renewable fuel mandate that requires them to mix more biofuels into their fuel. On Friday, the EPA denied 26 petitions from 15 quote-unquote small refineries who applied for waivers from the years of 2016 to 2018 and 2021 through 2023, according to the agency on Friday. Now, there are still two pending petitions, but the agency also disclosed which oil refiners submitted petitions in July 2022 or later, as well as which oil refiners are participating in an alternative compliance schedule that allows them the flexibility already to comply with the biofuel blending law. Uh, Answering this claim, we saw not official word yet, but a group of refiners that were denied Tanner claim that they're planning to file a lawsuit challenging this rejection of the waivers. They shared this news here on Monday morning. And again, haven't officially filed, but it sounds like one of the companies, Par Pacific, told Reuters on Monday that this biofuel blending mandate has left some on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars. And they believe the EPA's decision is arbitrary, capricious, and contrary to the law. So they will be filing a lawsuit, it sounds like, very soon, Tanner. 
yeah, interesting. And I'm sure that'll just drag out as well. But uh, we had a great conversation yesterday with Arlen about where markets started the week off. Where are we sitting here mid-morning on Tuesday? Well, we're still sitting a little higher here on Tuesday morning as the September corn contract is up 14 and three quarters cents at the midday at 514. New crop corn up 13 and a half cents at 519 and a half. In the soybean pits here, the August contract up 13 and three quarters cents at 14.97 and three quarters. No new crop beans up 18 and a half at 13.96 and three quarters. Wheat still pushing higher after yesterday's big moves due to the Russia Ukraine situation. September hard red winter wheat up nine and a quarter cent at 8.24 and a half. In the livestock pits here at the mid morning session, August live cattle are up 45 cents at 180.57. August feeder cattle down 70 cents at 248.60. And August lean hogs down $2.52.5 at 97.30. Tana, let's turn it over to today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Listeners, my pleasure to have CEO and general manager for Adkins Energy here, Bill Howell, to talk about clean energy and what the future looks like. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Well, thank you, Tanner. So before we jump into that topic, uh, it's always nice to give our listeners a little bit of background on the people we talk to. So why don't you give your introduction here for a minute? Well, Tanner, I'm, uh, I've been out of the uh, renewable business, fuels business for uh, about three or four years now. I've been doing some uh, mission outreach work Actually, uh, disaster repair work down in Louisiana for about a year or so, and now I'm back into the uh, biofuel sector. Pretty excited to be here. It's sort of like we have entered into a rebirth of this uh, industry, so uh, I think it's a great time to come back in. Hey, that's exciting. What a fun background. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Adkins Energy? Well, Atkins uh, is here in Lena, Illinois. It's been here uh, 21 years now. We just celebrated last year our 20th anniversary. We make uh, around 60 million gallons of uh, ethanol, uh, generation one. And we make uh, have about 3 million uh, gallon capacity for biodiesel. Uh, we also make the, the uh, distiller's grain that goes into feeding livestock make corn oil, which we convert into the biodiesel. Uh, very nice facility, beautiful part of Illinois up in sort of the hilly country. Well, that does sound like you guys got a lot of capacity, but obviously there's a reason for our conversation today. And we wanted to talk clean energy as we've reported on articles and obviously seen legislation push this direction what do you feel has been the biggest driver in focusing on clean energy? Well, I think uh, the changes and uh, I guess the, some of the regulations coming out and also the uh, Inflation Act has really been so like the kickstart uh, for some of the new clean energies. And, uh, and with that, I'm talking about Things like 45Z that gives tax credits for being able to uh, turn your CO2 into uh, new fuel. 
could be 45D, which is uh, clean hydrogen production. And so what we're trying to do is work with CAPCO uh, solutions to figure out how to take oh, probably about 175,000 uh, tons of CO2 that comes off of our fermentation process and convert that into a clean fuel, which is called e-methanol. And then e-methanol then can be used in uh, shipping lines, and it could be used in diesel trucks, could be used in aviation uh, to be converted into those type fuels. So that's the project that we're here to talk about today. So clarify for our listeners what, did you say e-methanol? E-methanol. E-methanol. Uh, the process we're going to use is we're going to make a, uh, a clean hydrogen. We're going to take that hydrogen and combine it with our CO2 coming off our fermentation process. And that CO2 is very pure CO2. So that, that makes it uh, a very good raw material for this process. And the end result will be that we'll be making a liquid uh, clean methanol. Interesting. So we've reported a lot on the CO2 pipelines that are working on getting approvals. If this project continues, is there room for capacity expansion to take on others CO2? Uh, yes, but typically what you'd like to do is um, co-locate this type process with the uh, ethanol facilities. And there's there's a few stipulations. One is that you need to use a clean energy source to uh, to make the product if you want to make what we consider to be clean methanol. And that would be solar, wind, or nuclear power. Uh, if you don't have those sources for your um, energy to convert the uh, CO2 over to uh, e-methanol, then basically you'll convert it to methanol. And there's a market for methanol, but it's it's not quite the same product. Ah, that's understood. So I, maybe our listeners have heard of this, but I had not heard of this before. So is a project like yours the first of its kind, or has there been a precedent? No, we will be first of its kind. Uh, the technology has been tried uh, with a couple of other industries, but this will be the first of its kind for ethanol. Uh, and we will start out, or we have started out, doing a economic and technology study once that's completed, our hope is that we'll enter into a uh, pilot and get that up and running. And, and we'll, assuming results are good, we'd then investigate moving to the uh, commercial that. So as you start into this process, what do you see some of the biggest challenges being to begin with? Right now, supply chains appears to be one of the largest challenges. And, you know, you're trying to um, <clears throat> get say transformers or things like that to support a, a pilot or a commercial unit. And with the way uh, things are in the market, that lead time could be 18 to months to three years to get the equipment that you need to get the unit up and running. So that's what we're seeing the biggest challenge right now. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't have thought of that as being a big issue, but I'm glad that you shared that. As far as 
approval or government oversight go? How, how has that process been as you've started exploring this? Well, typically, if like for the pilot, you'll have to have your permits, uh, and those usually run uh, three months to six months to get those. If you need to go back and work on permits like Title V, things like that, that's additional time. So, uh, but everyone we've talked to has been uh, very helpful trying to make sure that we can uh, understand what the timelines are to get the permits done and then making sure we get those permits now. But right now that's sort of early because we're still working on the economics and the technology analysis. Yeah, so it's probably also a little bit early on in the process as to what type of an economic impact a full-fledged operation would have as far as uh, dollars to the community and job creation. But do you have any early numbers? Uh, no, we don't. We're, uh, we're going to hopefully get some of those out of our economic studies. That's great. And it'll be interesting. I was going to choose the word fun, but I'll go with interesting to see how the pilot goes. Because if it's successful, just like you're saying, it, it could be replicable across many of Midwest ethanol plants, correct? Uh, I believe so, and probably even further than Midwest. So well, I didn't, I I didn't think about the, that. Yeah, I'd use the term uh, fun to a certain degree also. Fun, fun and challenging. Absolutely. And uh, what better fun than one that can create a challenge? So is the technology, it, it doesn't necessarily matter where the CO2 and hydrogen, correct, are sourced from. Those are the two components though, right? The CO2, it, it does sort of matter because what you like is a fairly pure CO2. Uh, so the ethanol facilities are a good source of that pure CO2. The hydrogen matters. If you're creating your hydrogen using uh, one of the clean energies, solar, wind, or, or uh, nuclear, and that makes a big difference. That allows you to make that clean methanol. If you don't have access to that, you'll end up making methanol, but uh, you can't categorize it as clean methanol. Right. No, that makes sense. I appreciate you clearing that up for us. As our listeners are maybe going to be curious about this, do you have anything else that you think that would be valuable that they know? No, I just think it's uh, pretty exciting to have a possibility of doing something with your CO2 and perhaps something other than not putting it into a pipeline. Absolutely. If our listeners are curious and want to follow along with your process, what's the best way for them to keep tabs on you? Probably uh, try our website or give us a phone call. We'd be glad to talk about it. Well, Bill, we appreciate that. And remind our listeners what the name of your energy company is. It's Atkins Energy LLC. Perfect. Well, thanks again. It's always neat to get the latest in technology that could push agriculture forward. Obviously, if your project is successful and the pilot goes well, that could only bode well for what agriculture has to do in its future. Thank you, Tanner. Well, Delaney, good to have you back. Good to have another Tech Tuesday conversation for our listeners. We'll be here all week, so uh, stay tuned, right? Absolutely, Tanner. We've got some great conversations coming up later this week. But in the meantime, should we let our listeners go? 
let's let him go. 